Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Nick Davis! Nick Davis! I don't believe it! I see it, but I don't believe it! It's time again for I See It But I Don't Believe It. I've got my good friend Jason back, Carlton supporter. How are you doing? I'm great, Gemma. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> Thank you for coming back. I appreciate it. Um, we're going to be talking about a game that was before either of us, I, I assume, before you were alive. Mm. You're before not... my mum and dad were even together. So wow. before I was a twinkle in my parents' eye. Wow, how much? How long before you were born was this? Uh, I was eighty-five, okay, so this years. is good six years. Mum and Dad met in London in eighty-two. Oh wow! Uh, uh, and the reason I remember that is because Dad was telling me this week that his mum sent him a tea towel when Carlton won the eighty-two grand final because it was his first time away, you know, first grand final away uh, from home, and so. Being my grandmother a Carlton supporter and my father a Carlton supporter, um, and I, he still had that detail up until I moved out of home. So, um, first grand final away from home. How privileged is that that there were enough before that? Sorry, I should clarify: overseas, not away from home. <laughs> but yes, we'll talk more about uh, Carlton's illustrious and uh, championship teams of the seventies uh, and eighties that are long gone. That are. <laughs> A bare memory to most supporters <laughs> of the club, but um, a very important parts of AFL history for reasons we'll discuss in the next period of time. Yes. So if you haven't guessed, we're talking about the 1979 VFL Grand Final, which was held on the 29th of September in front of 113,545 mm. people. That does not sound like a fire... That sounds like a fire hazard <laughs> waiting to happen. But it's one of the biggest yeah. of, of history. Which makes sense. Carlton Collingwood, two big Two of the biggest clubs. teams. And the biggest uh, sports match, the MCG, was the Carlton Collingwood 1970 Grand Final, which was 131,000, I think it was. Um, 130,000 plus. Which is just absurd. Yeah. Sorry, I might have been correct. It was 100 and, yeah, it was about that. Because the Billy Graham crusade that was held there was an extra like ten or 15,000 more people because they could fit them on the ground as well as in the stands. So Wow. Um, but, yeah, it's one of the biggest of all time, um, top 10, top 20. That's mental. Um, for C. Carlton beat Collingwood in what would have been uh, in the period of time like Collingwood's likely lost like six grand finals in a row from like 1970 to 1983, I think it was. Not in a row, but every they lost six grand finals, um, which as a Carlton supporter is – music to my ears like it's a beautiful <laughs> beautiful thing to hear um and for it to happen again in 2018 hey was you know that was a great game great game but much like this game a uh you know a, a moment stands out and um while the rest of the game was great this moment will be what's remembered much like the, the uh, non-preferred foot kick oh and i've got some strong feelings on that that's uh about the fact that the mark was paid? Well, when I watched it, I was watching on my phone, um, loading in for a show and just happened to sneak out just before that, that passage of play happened. And at first, not knowing who I wanted to go for, because it's West Coast, and I didn't really want West Coast to win, but also strongly against Collingwood, I kind of had a bit of a negative, <laughs> not a, neg a neutral feeling about the grand final just gone, but, um, and didn't only got to watch the first half before I had to go and, you know, sit up for the show. So watching that play, my initial thought was he played on. Oh, you think he played on? I thought he played on at you first. You don't think it should have been a free kick because of the Maynard thing? That's not what I noticed. My note, like if you uh, go back, like he takes a couple of steps. And he I was does, like, yeah. He, he played on. But obviously it was, you know, it is what it is and history is 
now sealed. Um, but rewatching that later, um, home in a week or two later, and went that passage of play is very outrageous. And I know that we've had this conversation before, but it's very interesting that the if you trace those steps back, and yeah. I know this is very um, not really that 1979 grand final, <laughs> but if you trace those steps back, the way that Dom Sheed got to West Coast was when Daisy Thomas uh, went as free agent to Carlton. Collingwood got pick number 11 from memory and a few others, um, and they traded that to West Coast for pick six. And so Collingwood picked up um, Schoenberg, uh, Scharenberg, Schoenberg, Schoenberg, um, yeah. yep. At pick six, and Collingwood got Sheed at pick eleven, and Scharenberg, you know, he wasn't injured, had a good season, would have played in the back line and potentially altered that. And you know, so Daisy Thomas coming to Carlton had an effect through the universe of helping Collingwood not win that grand final. Um, but that's a whole other scenario we can delve into at another time because we're here to talk about one of the great moments in grand final history. 1979 grand final, Carlton versus Collingwood. <laughs> How's that for a segue? Segue um, in and segue out. <laughs> that was excellent. Um, I don't have too many notes on this one because I know that you're all over it. You've got all of your notes. But my main note here is that it was muddy as fuck. Yeah, yeah. very much so. That's my first note on the page. And it's it's from not – I'd say like two or three generations of football ago. Yeah. You know, you look at the current Well, it's a lot now. of parents of current – Players. Exactly, and one of the one of the players that's instrumental in this Carlton team, um, Buckley, is the father of a future Carlton player, now GWS player, Dylan Buckley, mm. um, and or Andrew Island's playing this game. Yep, didn't wasn't aware of that, but I hadn't. Uh, my, your research <laughs> is better than mine on that one. And obviously, um, yeah, there's there's a few other. It, it's it's very much. The style of football too and the way the grounds are and the way the clubs are. Obviously, it's pre-AFL. It's pre-South um, Melbourne moving to Sydney. Yeah. I think that might have been in, what was that, 81 or 82? Um, so it's still very much Victorian. It's still the muddy grounds. In the in the footage of the game, there's streamers on the ground and it's still very, very suburban, even though there's 120,000 people there. Mm. Um, and I think it's a great example of that because then you go forward three or four years into the 80s and then the, the style of football is different again and yeah. you think of the Hawthorne teams and you Big think of the... And... Yep, that's it. And that goes into the mid-90s. And then, uh, you know, we spoke about the 99 and that kind of a end of that kind of big forward era into the some more the more the stronger midfield and the the mm. Cuda who we, we spoke about in a previous episode that body of player um, and now I think we're sort of moving into another one and we're looking interested to see how with these rule changes and with players getting taller and, and bigger and um, more more and more athletic yeah. where that next phase, that generation of footballers will come from. But, um, yeah, this is the era of still VFL, still playing at Victoria Park, still playing if Fitzroy's still in the league. There's still all of this. It's, it's still very suburban, still very Victorian, still very um, organic, maybe. Yeah, I mean, no scores on the broadcast. Yep. You have to wait till the commentators remind <laughs> you. A lot of times when I've been re-watching it, I've tried to hover over to, to see the time, how much time's left. And, you know, there's – as yourself, as someone who's grown up with that information on the screen, it's kind of a little bit awkward to watch and have to wait for them to give it to you rather yeah. than you can just absorb it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So I am not super familiar with the lead into this. Yep. So can you tell us the context of these two teams heading into this grand final? Absolutely. So up until uh, 1970, which we mentioned earlier, Carlton had been about 20 years without a grand final, 25 years, which as a team that already had a good chunk was a long gap. Almost the gap we've had now since 95 has been just a few years or longer. So um, that's the sort of era that Carlton was in pre-1970. Yeah. Um, and then – beat Collingwood in that grand final. Um, and then Carlton and Collingwood both finished in the top five the year after. So contenders, but neither team won at Hawthorne won that year. Yeah. 72. <laughs> 72, Carlton beat Carlton finished first, beat St Kilda. Um, Collingwood finished third. So again, two, these are the really two of the big powerhouses. 73, um, 
Collingwood beat Richmond in the grand final. Carlton finished third. So we're kind of just going back a little bit of history. Um, and then it was in that year that the 10-year rule was introduced, which meant that players who played 10 years at any particular club could go to any other club without could just could change and with no with no ramifications or whatever. So North, who originally voted against it, uh, yeah. vote, <laughs> they made the most of it once it got approved, and they picked up they picked up Rassi. They picked up a whole lot of very experienced players, and so from seventy four through to seventy nine, they were one of the strongest teams, along with Hawthorne. Um, seventy. Four, they lost the grand final. 75, they won the grand final against Hawthorne. The next year, they lost to Hawthorne. The year after was the tie grand final where mm. North and Collingwood, and in the end, Collingwood lost again, North won, and the following year, Hawthorne beat North Melbourne. Um, so it was very Hawthorne and North Melbourne in the early part of the 70s. Sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> well, you can go back in time and, and rewatch those if you must. But Really not. In that time, Carlton was sitting most of the time in the top top four, uh, you know, highest is sort of top – in the age of final five, they were sitting, you know, in that low – you know, from six through to third in that time. Collingwood, other than a blip where they finished last in 76, again, three, four, five the whole time. And then you get to 79 when this particular grand final happened. So there have been two strong teams the whole time. They hadn't played in a grand final since that really famous one in 70 with the massive crowd and a bit of a drought breaker for Carlton. And it was the start of Carlton um, having a really strong run for the next four years. But part of Collingwood's, as I said, I think before, six grand final losses from six appearances from 70 through to 83. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's the sort of spot where we're kind of sitting at that Collingwood are the uh, definitely the bridesmaids every time. They can't quite get through. Um, so by the time we get to the end of the 97, it's the 79 season, um, Carlton had finished first with a healthy percentage of 139, 19 and 3, which was, you know, quite a strong year. Collingwood not far behind with 15 and 7. So, yeah. and North Melbourne in between. So they were the three of the four best teams in in the league at the time. So um, when we kind of get to that part of the finals, and obviously the finals were a bit different then, um, it was to... Strong clubs packing out a stadium for footy on a wet, muddy ground that Collingwood's game plan was just to go and grind them into the mud and slow them down and try and really not let their stars, which nicknamed, I think it was at that time, if they weren't nicknamed then, over the next few years, we nicknamed the Mosquito Fleet. So just buzzing in like a bit, a few smaller players who'd be able to crumb it, run it out fast. Um, I think that really took, Nickname in sort of 81, 82, but it's the core, some of the core players from 79 all the way through. So, um, you know, we, we get to that. We get to the start of the grand final. Jezelenko, uh, one of the greats of the game. The um, last ever captain coached for a premiership. Exactly. And he didn't even finish the game. Didn't Got to the last 10 minutes and and uh, I think we'll, we'll if you get a chance to watch the last five minutes of the game or the last 10 minutes. Um, which we might do in a bit, we'll yeah, to see the injury. It's a pretty rough... I don't like watching it. <laughs> Maybe I'll describe it when we get to that point. But, um, yeah, and so it's, it's a really champion team, a couple of champion teams, and um, in a really transitional period for Carlton and Collingwood, who were just almost the... Who would be like, like St Kilda was a few years ago where they just made the grand final and just couldn't do it, couldn't get over the line, um, which, again, as a Carlton supporter, is great news. <laughs> Well, I feel a little bit like that about my team, but <laughs> let's um, let's go into the game now. Great, yeah. So we start off first quarter. Carlton go goalless, and Collingwood mm. are up by ten points at quarter time. Yep. So that first of all wasn't a great sign. No, really enacting the game plan that they'd set out to do, and and really negate Carlton by slowing them down and and uh, yeah, stopping that attack. Yeah. And then into the second quarter, Collingwood, 20 minutes in, actually got up. I think it was the biggest lead of the game. Mm. They've got 28 points up with 20 minutes into the second quarter. So it was just like a long way back from that point. But then Carlton come in and Wayne Harms, Mark McClure, Wayne Johnson and Jim Buckley all kick goals. And Carlton go into halftime a point up. Yep. Which, again, great grand finals always have... Big swings in momentum, mm. and in recent years, we've seen a couple 
2012 that have yep. seen that happen. And this is a really good example of that happening. That it point. shows two quality teams at the peak of their performance and when and co- and coaching performance as well mm. where being able to see what the other team is doing and negating it and you know like you said half time they're up by a point and then for Carlton then to come out at three quarter time and then be up by 21 points that's a, like, nearly a 50 point turnaround yeah. from the you know start of the second quarter from the second quarter to the third and so as a fan watching that game, it's it's already before we even get to the last few minutes. Which yeah. again, spoiler alert: we will talk. You know, the whole point <laughs> of this thing. Um, if you don't know it already, uh, I'm sorry. It's it's around long enough. It's it's like it's like ruining the ending of uh, Titanic. It's like everyone knows. It's 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 out there in the public. It's wildly re- anyway. Point of the story is I've never seen Titanic. You've never seen Titanic. I don't watch movies. Anyway, okay. I watch footy. Replays of footy. <laughs> Which is great. I'm a footy nerd. <laughs> so maybe this is your homework is watching the uh, all of the 79 grand final. Seriously, I watch football all the time. It's I have grown to love recently, particularly for prepping for this as well, re-watching <laughs> these games. Like, just... I could... Um, we're, we're a little bit off topic here, going. but I could recite the last four and a half minutes of Sydney v Essen in 2017 to you oh. off the top of my head. I've watched that ending so many <laughs> times. Nick Newman, love him. Anyway, okay, there so... Is, there is a... Just, just to go one more notch on that, there is a friend of a friend who loves Richmond Ugh. and I would love to... And regularly posts that she's watched the replay of the grand final and I would love to have kept a little tally from... We'll say that the day of the grand final on how many times she's posted that she's watched it, and on first thought, I'm like, oh, but I'm like, I'm thinking now, if if Carlton won in 2020, for argument's sake, yeah, like how would I react as someone who's been who just remembers 95, like as a kid, went to the grand final parade in 99, only really watched till halftime, and then was like, I can't watch this anymore. This is this is done. <laughs> but to have nothing like that until say, win, win the grand final next year for argument's sake. Yeah. I don't know how I would react. I probably would watch that week on a weekly basis. Yeah. You know, I probably would cry. I probably would get a tattoo. Like, I'm trying to – now I feel positivity in my team. Not that I felt negativity, but now I feel a positivity. I'm trying to prepare myself on how I would react if we made the finals, if we made the grand final, if we won the grand final. And I don't know how that looks. Well, that's what Melbourne supporters have been going mm. through the past year. Like the finals last year was amazing, and we should do and I see it, but I don't believe an episode <laughs> about Melbourne's final series last year because I'm a Sydney supporter and I nearly fainted at one of those games. <laughs> That's no word of a lie. Anyway, anyway, so Carlton, Carlton, Carlton. Great. So we're at, we're at three quarter time. They kicked five goals to two in that third quarter, mm. so they dominated that quarter. So they go into three quarter time, twenty one points up. Huge. So it looks like it might almost be done and dusted. The field is a pile of mud at this yep. point. It just doesn't look like Collingwood are going to peg it back from there, right? It's it's very unlikely. And, you, and you'll watch that last quarter and you just see the players, both sides, but you just see the exhaustion of ploughing through the mud, of being part-time players. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, training, you know, working their full-time job or, you know, as equivalent and then going to training and having a bunch of beers and a cigarette after the game. And you know what I mean? It's it's still it's very much in that era. And they're exhausted. And one of the few points of the ground that's actually relatively free from mud is the pocket on the end that Carlton are kicking to, which is towards the right of the the, the screen when you watch the, the replay back. Yeah. And you see a few times in that last part of the last quarter them aiming for that because obviously it's dry and hold your feet a bit better. So that's a really will play a really important part of the the uh, the folklore of this this game as the you know the, we get to the fifteen minute mark of the last quarter. <laughs> so Collingwood to that point had pegged it back. They'd kicked three goals and Carlton were only up by four points. Mm. And then Wayne Harms happens. Right. Well, we're we're one step behind Wayne Harms because uh, yeah, Renee King kicked a goal to put them down by four points. He got reported. Uh, a little bit earlier in the game for spitting at Alex Jezelenko. That's gross. Which is like, 
And I can't remember a lot about Renee Kink. I should have done more research, but from my understanding, he was a pretty rough player. Like, he's got a bit of a reputation. So spitting on Jezelenko's not something that was beneath him at the time. I can't speak yeah. for him now. Like, if he's listening and he thinks I'm slander, like, <laughs> feel free. Uh, but, yeah, but he gets about the last yeah, 10 minutes, down by four points, and um, the ball is bounced in Carlton's... Uh, sorry, there's there's a, a contest in Collingwood's um, forward 50. Yep. And it kind of s- sets up this passage of play that is equivalent to the West Coast play that we spoke about earlier. Yeah, the Jeremy McGovern to Dom Sheed. Yeah, exactly right, exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I think we, we'll play the clip, I think. We'll play the audio. But it starts, this, this whole thing starts with this pack uh, and Jezelenko going up as part of this pack and landing really, really heavily and awkwardly on his ankle and it collapsing underneath him. Um, the ball then goes out of bounds. Um, a few other things happen and the ball spills out. I think it was uh, near the goal line. It was, it was kicked in. So that's about where I'm going to play the audio because I think this bit of commentary is one of the best pieces of commentary, both as a call sonically and that matches the play and, It'd be remiss not to play it, and we can kind of talk about what it looks like after we have a listen. So, Jesselenko getting uh, a huge round of applause as he comes around the boundary line, but back to the play. Moore got high, tried for the screamer. It didn't work, though. Anderson grabbed when not in possession. He must get a free kick, surely. No, it's going Carlton's way, and it will be taken by Francis. Francis up from the back pocket, goes for the long kick towards the centre wing position. Johnson was behind the pack. It's socket away by Keogh. Down towards the half-forward line, Harms tries to pick it up, Buckley gets it out to Harms now, he's pursued by Brewer, but he can't catch him, Harms fires at the goals, but he's off target, it's rolling towards the boundary line, and Harms almost makes ground, he tips it back to Sheldon, it's a goal! Oh, what a goal! If you don't mind, Harms is almost as quick as the kick, it's his third, Sheldon, oh, that was the goal of the match. Although Harms didn't kick it, it was a remarkable piece of play. A remarkable piece of play. Mm. Jason just commentated that to us. <laughs> Feel so, free to, to edit that. Do you want to tell us what happened? Yeah, I'd love to because <laughs> what I would say is very different to what a Collingwood supporter would say. Yeah. Um, but to try and take it a little bit uh, more neutral, um, it starts off that passage here with Jezelenko getting carried off a minute or two before he'd come down hard on his ankle, as you mentioned before. And then um, the ball had progressed up the wing. It was a free kick involved, which which gave it to Carlton to kind of push forward. And then Buckley gets it, you know, soccering on the ground, dribbling, picks it up and gets it to Harms. Harms is, yeah, right about the centre of the wing, running onto it. And you just, as I mentioned before, that drier pocket, the the, the lesser muddy pocket, we should say, because it's probably just as wet. Yeah. Um, he's what would have been aimed to Sheldon, uh, Kenny Sheldon in the goals, which is what the intended target. He would have sitting at about, I'd say about 80 metres out, but it would have been just to get it to that. Sheldon had and a lead on. And it did kind of swing a little bit as well, didn't it? Yeah. And so not only with the wet ball and with the mud and trying to just, a footballer just trying to get a quick kick away uh, under um, a contested kind of, um, area, the ball's gone up in the air, and on the footage you think oh, it's going, it's going, and then just fades. It fades towards the right, fades towards the boundary line, um, and it takes a bounce. And in that time, and I'd love to work out the distance travelled and the speed that he's gone. He's run from kicking it to the boundary line to the point where the ball's bounced and slid and used that mud to slide it. And as the ball's coming down back. On the boundary line, we're just going to assume that it bounced on the boundary line. Yeah. At, at the, as an impartial moment, <laughs> as it comes back down to ground, you see him wind up, slide, and just a massive punch back from the pocket to near the top of the goal square where Kenny Sheldon is sitting there, picks it up a couple of steps on his own, puts it through, and puts Carlton 10 points up and really just makes that the game solidified for Carlton. Like there was still another bit of passage of play. There was still a little bit more to go. But in that moment, he could have very easily just let it 
go. Like the Collingwood supporters look like, okay, he's kicked it, it's going to bounce out, it'll be a throw-in, and the game will continue on. But that play, that extra, not even one percenter, you know, the extra 20% of the run and slide and back in, not only is that an incredible play, but it just is an incredible piece of vision, an incredible piece of commentary. Yeah. Uh, and I wish that I'd had a bit more time to be able to, and, and a skill, I should say, not just time. I'm not <laughs> going to use that excuse. Because you listen to it back and you can hear the, the, the tone of, I think it's Peter Landy is the commentator in that point, and he goes, like it's it's almost a musical scale. Like I wish I could figure out the exact notes. Yeah. But I think that what's make that so engaging is because the ear kind of he says it in this great building, dynamic and dropping, but not just shouting in a very well delivered moment. And so when you get to that and Tom's it's a Baxter. Um, it's a back of the shoulder, and it kind of builds and builds. And I just, I can't get enough of that. I think as well. I think it stands out because our commentators today are so shit <laughs> that we don't get anything like that anymore. Yep. And that's why there are particular moments from ten, fifteen, thirty, fifty years ago that stand out so much because we don't get that now. And because I think to, to play off that would be that because a lot of these guys came from radio first. Yeah. And have to describe it to someone who's not there. So the way that they would learn how to do it comes from, okay, you've got to take in. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All this information and process it for someone who's sitting at home on the wireless yeah. or sitting in the truck or whatnot before. Um, while this was, uh, yeah, this is one of the early color televised ones. Mm. Um, Which but is it, helpful when there were many uh, north... Hawthorne and Collingwood grand final. Exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> you had to tell by their shorts and their socks, right? That's why the white shorts are there, right? <laughs> and uh, it's very much a coming from that background that really allowed this sort of commentary to shine. And you look at someone like a Bruce McAvaney, whose first passion is was horse racing. Again, very much a radio-based sport. So his calling comes from that angle and some of those older guys and some of the newer commentators um, shouldn't have jobs <laughs> have you know the, the better ones do the cream does rise and 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 there'll always be someone like a, a bt or a rex hunt that just will you know ruin it polarize people but also give people catchphrases like you think of the catchphrases that are now because of Jezza or because of BT, you know, Razio Fantasia. Like, they're the stuff that kids in the playground. Makes me sick. <laughs> but that's the stuff that, <laughs> that a kid in the playground would be like, if you're an Essendon supporter, or, like, you think of that Jezzelenko, you beauty. Like, even me as kid, as a kid, like, you'd still go, oh, Jezza, you'd be in the pool and you'd go up over, um, over your brother playing, you know, Barker's up with a tennis ball. And it's that, those kind of characters that have that big personality that, that you really latch onto and, and, you know, there's got to be someone like that, but then you've got to have the ones who can really carry the team. And yeah. um, I love Brett Kirk and his little little nugget. If you get to watch the <laughs> Brett Kirk quote unquote weird intro, um, I think um, we've got some good ones now, but they're being overshadowed by the bigger egos, which I think is the issue. Yep. And uh, I have many opinions on this. So <laughs> I mean, that's why this radio station exists. But <laughs> we'll not get bogged down in that. But we'll just, we'll just go with that. the point of that bit of commentary is by far one of my favourites and superbly executed, much like your, you know, your classics of the modern classics, like snuck up like a librarian or <laughs> I see it but I don't believe, like those yeah. ones that are just 
researched and prepared but still so spontaneous because... 13. <laughs> That's a good one. There's a great video actually that my brother showed me that it's um, football commentators on top of NBA players and there is a great one that fits to that which um, <laughs> I'll send to you and you can pass on to your listeners via the Twitter. Um, but to take it back to that... that the relevant topic, The relevant yeah. topic and, and, and the, the harms, it's happening it back in. Um, for those who love... Eddie Maguire, which I know there's lots of us that do and lots of us that don't. Um, his quote is that he saw it as uh, Harms tapped it in from the foyer of the Hilton Hotel across the other side of Jolly Mont Station. Um, there's another quote here that's He's great. He's just a sore loser. Sore loser. And, well, a very much a sore loser because you look at the amount of times that his team's lost in the grand final, both cricket, football. Look at the amount of times he complains about other teams being good. I mean, Andrew Island played this game. That feels relevant, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, there's another quote that I read, a, a guy on uh, one of the comments. Usually they say don't read the comments. Oh, but the YouTube comments for this are fantastic. It, it's high quality. One guy was saying that, uh, quote, he was that far out, he'd done his knee on a bumper bar in the car park. Someone else said they saw him knock a pot of beer off the bar in the cricketer's arms on Punt Road. I think that's the topless. <laughs> Is the cricketer's arms the topless one on Punt Road? Yeah, look, I wouldn't know. I've I, uh, <laughs> driven down Punt Road enough, but I haven't seen any um, any boobs out the front of that bar, but, um, you know, and I think that, that obviously Carlton as a team polarises a lot of people, but I think the hate for Collingwood and them losing because of a decision such as this draws more people into the moment. It's like, I hate Carlton, I mean, it's a quote, it's not a personal, yeah. um, but I love when Collingwood loses and when it's such a dubious decision like this, it's so superb. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, those little things I think are great in footy. Mm. Like, the a recent example is the Jenkins touched the post, where he said after the match it hit the post. Yep. It wasn't called touching the post. Like, those things give us something to talk about, don't yep. they? Because it's a real human game and human things happen that are yeah. barely explainable or mistakes that are made that make it hard to... to Explain well, it makes why it that folklore. decision. Exactly right. Makes the games even better. That's that's exactly it. So this is, you know, maybe to a previous generation, not so much to now. And one reason I like talking about this is because it is, his, it's history and it's sporting history and it's it should be up there with some of those more modern pieces that we've already talked about um, as a great grand final, as mm. a great piece of play, and a great piece of athleticism by a guy yeah. who's basically a barrel on legs. And he was a little guy, wasn't he? Like, he wasn't tall. Yeah. The, the funny bit of trivia with Wayne Harms, if we kind of move on to the next part of the story, um, not only did we get the goal, four points, um, we ended up winning by five points in the end. Um, as you mentioned, Alex Jeselenko was the last captain coach to win. But the inaugural Norm Smith medal was handed out on this game. Yeah. And it was given to Wayne Harms. And wasn't he? A great nephew of... Norm um, Smith. Norm Smith. Yeah. Which is like an amazing way to start that legacy. And know? it was it wasn't tokenistic either. It was deserved too. Yeah, when we like we mentioned before, when, when Carlton went through into that half time and clawed it back, he was one of the people who helped spur that yeah. that on. Um and then obviously Collingwood supporters were livid that he got it. Oh, it's favouritism because he's his nephew. Oh, it's because it was out well actually in hindsight that um, statistics and the actual play that the footage like he helped. outstanding. He yeah. in, in the same way as we're talking about Kudafidis in '99, Harms was a parallel throughout that game. And instead of Craig Bradley making that moment, yeah, it would have been if Kuda had made that tackle on Wallace and changed that game, and that was the equivalent of what Wayne Harms did in that moment. He won that not only won the game, but then won the game off his own hand. Yeah. Um, and the quote from the Carlton president the next year was, what's better than beating Collingwood by 10 goals? It's by beating him by five points. That's I literally what... spoke to someone about this the other day. Mm. Was and it you? It might have been, but it's, it's, a regular, it's a regular quote. But I'd never heard it until the other day. Who oh, did really? I talk to about it? Anyway, this is anyway, not interesting to anyone but me. But this, this does lead into a whole other part of history, which yeah. I want to touch on in a second. Um, because that was said by the president at the time, Harris, um, 
and there was a big, a few months after this, there was a massive, almost a coup. A, um, there was a big uh, general meeting held at Festival Hall and a whole lot of shit went down, but I might touch on that in a second because it's a fascinating side note to this game. Um, but to kind of tie this bit up, that yeah, we won the grand final this year, Wayne Harms won the Norm Smith, we beat Collingwood, and it was part of their massive losses streak. Yeah. Um, it's, it's great. It's, it's all the things as a Carlton supporter <laughs> that you want to see. Because, um, yeah, we won in 68, 70, 72, and then we beat, uh, beat them again in 81, beat Collingwood again, and 82 we beat Richmond. And then the only difference was is that 1980 where we finished on top of the ladder. I think it was. It's top of the ladder. Finished on uh, second, sorry. And then the grand final went to Collingwood, who beat Rich, as Richmond, who beat Collingwood. Um, and uh, the team got invited to Parliament House as part of you know in, in a way that I'm not sure if they do it anymore, but in a way that a lot of American sports will get mm. to visit the White House. That, um, and one of the reasons they reckon it stopped was because of the Carlton team of uh, 79, 80. Um, there's a quote from Wayne Harms that says that he's still got the salt and pepper shakers and some cutlery that they stole from <laughs> Parliament House and some golf balls. And um, the story keeps getting bigger that he says he's even stolen one of um, Malcolm Fraser's golf clubs as well. <laughs> uh, and so, like, that kind of – they went back – 81, but then the, all that stuff was not left out again. <laughs> so it's very much that kind of cheeky era, you know, having a beer, having a smoke, stealing some stuff for the Prime Minister and, uh, you know, sliding around in the mud with football. But um, there's a great little anecdote that I read uh, from a gentleman. It was on the, it's on the Blues History website about the game. Yeah. Um, and a few little nuggets I'm going to pull out of it. It's really fascinating to contrast now than going to a grand final 2018, 2019 into 1979. Mm. Um, this person says, I didn't get a name. I've just got the link here if anyone wants to read the full thing. He says, it was muddy and rainy. Um, for the princely sum of 60 cents, I purchased a junior standing room ticket uh, not bad for a 17-year-old HSC student. So, like, 60 cents for a grand final standing ticket. Do you imagine? Is even the, even the conversion would still be a wild, wildly cheap ticket. Yeah. Uh, and it goes on to say that he watched the game looking over those who'd been sculpted close to $200 for seats getting drenched in the rain. And you're like, even $200 in 79 for that grand final is so much money. Um, actually... And there's a, there's a quote from uh, Jezelenko that says, I gave the boys jobs and they went out and did them. And that's, you know, that's the, how it happened. Yeah. Um, and the, the thing that I really enjoy about this the story that he tells, and a lot of the stuff is the stuff that we've already discussed, so I won't go into it, but he goes, uh, I recalled the euphoria which was heightened by the two bottles of champagne we managed to smuggle in is something I've never forgotten. Not bad for a <laughs> 17-year-old getting into the grand final at the MCG on a junior ticket, indulging in a post-match bottle of champagne <laughs> with Carlton winning by five points. You're like, wow, that is some serious times. I'm very impressed with that young man. <laughs> it's great. It's uh, oh. And there's a great um, still image from that footage of a gentleman uh, lighting up a cigarette in the MCG where the camera's on him and he's just casually doesn't realise the camera's on him. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with it in that time, but how foreign that feels Yeah. when you see a gentleman like holding a cigarette, pulls out his matches, lights it, takes a puff and then sees the camera and then kind of gives a bit of a tip and then it pans off onto the next person. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. And you see the streamers on the ground and like all of these things. It's incredible. Um, another nugget which I couldn't verify and – you know, I'll have to keep researching on it. But one quote said that um, there was an issue, some industrial action or a strike around that time, uh, which affected the... I saw this as well. Yeah. Re- affected the camera work? Yeah. It might have been the same. I don't know if it was the same thing we saw or or I tried to find some online reference to this as in a broader sense, um, but... Potentially that that 
was why the camera work wasn't as quality as usual. But yeah. whether that would have affected – it wouldn't have affected the outcome of the game, but our particular – Viewing of it and where it's still so blurry, yeah, really is played on by this particular or even the uh, vision of the boundary line. That's it. It's it's quite a oh, it's a great piece. It just adds to the notoriety of it, though. Hundred percent, which is the best part of it. Hundred percent, and you know, Collingwood supporters will still say it's out. Carlton supporters will still say it's in, and uh, Harms every time he does a speaking engagement will automatically say, oh, how many Collingwood supporters are in? And then if there's enough Collingwood supporters, you just say, yeah, it was out. Just to stir the <laughs> shit, stir the pot. It's amazing. But um, just to finish on one more bit of history before winding up because I don't know if anyone else is really interested in Carlton history, but this is uh, Carlton's president at the time had been president for about seven or eight years, from 65 to 74 and then 78 to 79. Yep. And he was interested in investing money in, in other parts. So investing Carlton's money in other parts to other income streams is the summation of the whole thing. His name is George Harris, and that was who said the quote about what's beating better um, than calling by 10 goals. In, I think it was November or December in 79, yep. they called a general meeting at Festival Hall, yep. which is a massive place to hold a football general meeting. It's just like, in today's kind of it's not fancy enough for them nowadays anyway not fancy enough but also (laughs) just at a weird not a weird spot but that big a crowd it was a massive crowd and the summation of that was that harris was asked to step down as president and jeselenko said if harris goes i go and then jeselenko when harris finally went he's like okay that's it all right fine i'm out too so i lost jeselenko in end of 79 and even though we finished second in 80, we lost super healthily in the first and second game, which put us out of the finals. And that's the difference between us winning four grand finals and winning three grand finals in four years. Um, But then the flip side is a couple of years later, there's another gentleman interim. John Elliott came in in 83 to 2002, and we all know how that ended up (laughs) with uh, salary cap, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And... um, Nothing on the grand final front since 95, so <laughs> that's... Well, you played in one in 99. We played in one in 99, but, you know, the limited amount of success we've had has stemmed from that particular president and yeah, the decisions I mean, made from that era onwards, which is such a successful from 70 to 83, 84, like, what was it, like five grand finals or something, six grand finals in that But, I mean, time. it's very hard to compare it to that as well because... There were so fewer teams. Yep. There are so many more regulations now around yep. player salary caps and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Like, it it's very easy for us to be like, oh, Essendon and whoever uh, have won the most premierships in thing. It's like, well, that doesn't take into consideration Sandfall. That doesn't take exactly. into Waffle. Like, all that sort of stuff. It's no wonder that... Uh, supporters from other states get frustrated when Victorians talk like that. Like, I obviously follow an interstate team, so for me, yeah. it's a bit different. But and you've got your roots in VFL with South Melbourne, yeah. so and that does carry over. Yeah. So you've got that benefit, whereas someone like a Port Adelaide who won 30-odd premierships... Yeah, their history is almost whitewashed yeah. when they came into the, the national competition. So it's... um, Yeah, it, it's interesting that things... Histories till very recently, aren't considered VFL, AFL histories. They're considered AFL histories, but mm. they exclude the Sandful and the Waffle. But that could be another episode of... Um, a whole other one yeah, altogether. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating, be, be, all that stuff. Because it was treated, even in those times, and you listen to players talking, we had a lot of Western Australian players in that time. Mm. And then as it came into the 80s, into the 90s, we had a lot of South Australian players, like your Kernahans and Bradley and whatnot. So we really benefited from having ready-made players from those leagues Yeah, come and join us at 23, 24, 25, having played, you know, four or five years in the sand floor, the waffle. Um, and now with that not the case, um, and as in previous mentioned, Carlton's attitude, particularly John Elliott attitude, was we don't rebuild. So when we started 
when the draft came in and we started not being able to pick the best players from those leagues, yeah. we really didn't have a good formula to continue on with success. And you look at a team like a Sydney with the academies and there's a couple other teams as well, but Sydney do it really, really well is keeping those players, building those Can players. Can I just clarify very quickly? Okay. Yeah, I know it's not the topic of the episode, but... I, I bought the Sydney up, so you're allowed to... I, um, I, the academy is great. I think people need to realise why the academy exists. And yes, Sydney does benefit from it, but they've also pumped so much money, so much time, so much effort into mm. growing the game in that state yep. that they should reap some benefit from oh, that. Yeah. And the people like Eddie Maguire who take issue with it, who have always had plenty to choose from, they've never had yep. to struggle in a state, they've never had to play the game that no one cares about, they've never had to travel from Melbourne to Sydney on weekends to play games, never had to do that stuff, now sees a club that has put, picked itself up on its own two feet. It did get concessions from the AFL money-wise, but yep. not elsewhere. elsewhere. Yeah. To cop that when their development and their rookie development particularly has been ridiculously good. And we did an all, a whole episode on the rookie list yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And that's that was a, more of a compliment to it rather than a... Like, yeah, 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 not yeah, having yeah. a go at you, yeah, but yeah, I, do, yeah. I do get frustrated when people don't give it the context it deserves. They just say, oh, Sydney gets academy players because they are in Sydney. Sydney no, created they, academies. That's exactly right. Academies and, wouldn't exist without Paul Roos in Sydney. And that's exactly... And you look at the players who... Are growing, and that's why you're great. They're growing out of those academies yeah. and and developed. Well, Heaney would never be an AFL player if it weren't for the academy. He'd be playing rugby, yeah. and he said that. So we get to watch him play because Sydney have set up this thing, and now they have less. They still have access to these players, mm. but because and this sounds so facetious, but because Sydney's list management and their board are really smart, and they do find loopholes yep. and they use those loopholes, it pisses everyone off. Absolutely. Um, Nick Blakey being the most recent example. But just be smarter. Mm. Hire smarter people. That's what it comes down to. And I think that move in the – we are going completely off, but that, that move in the draft was great. And you look at then, you know, Stephen Silvani with GWS and then to Carlton and going as a guy who's making those – like and you look at those, those first few – um, pick swaps and the, u- utilizing that and kind of knowing and when you watch those clips from draft night and the live trading from Carlton, you compare that to the way that they operated versus I think it was a St Kilda one where they didn't get the guy mm. and you watch those few clips, I think there's only three or four put out, that you can see exactly that where they're like, they know what they want to do, they know whether it be a loophole or just how to use well, what even, they want. Even Carlton trading away their future first rounder, mm. like they there was a guy that they wanted what's the point of waiting another year and having another, another potential number one draft pick yep. when you could get the guy now and start developing them sooner? Like, it just made sense and everyone's having a go at them, like the value of it, blah, blah, blah. But it's actually more beneficial to Absolutely. develop a team across the board with younger guys who are playing together longer than getting one more talented guy next year instead yep. of a couple in a group that you can build a team off. And what, what we really needed, and, and one of the things that I've been really impressed with Carlton in this last couple of years is they said, this is how we're going to do things back in 2015, 2016. And they're stepping through it and they're taking the members along and going, hey, we're doing like this, drafting in three years, then we're going to pick up some some bit more experienced bodies, which not only with McGovern, but then um, the guys that they've just brought in from... Nick Newman. Nick Newman. My boy. I was, for Solo, being the club, like we are Carlton and we're yeah. a proud club and the John Elliott, not just him because obviously a team is a, is a team, it's a group of people, but there's a culture that comes with that. And I think we've started to see the culture from that period of time is now gone mm. and people you know, leaving the club and bringing great people in, bringing in the high-performance manager from Hawthorne, bringing in um, Brad Lloyd from, from uh, Frio. Frio, bringing in um, uh, Kane Little who helped Richmond build Richmond to the precipice of the grand final and building the finances up and building their membership to that pre-100,000 who then has come to us and, and they see that this club is going to be a, a destination club in the next few years because finally they scrubbed the floors and white, not whitewashed the walls, but they painted the walls and went, this is a new place. The fact that we've got the AFLW women's team who's sitting on top of the ladder in there. Okay. 
the conference B ladder, let's just let's say. Be, but it's a fact. So I'm going to... Oh, they're great. But let's not say they're in the league of Melbourne and... I just said we're top Freo. of the ladder in our respective point. But having having that team and that's I think getting that licence is a really... Early on was a really great mm. part of the new Carlton. Um, Even though you were the first team in history to win the wooden spoon in both leagues in one year? Look, we've got to start at the bottom. <laughs> to build up, yeah. <laughs> to build up. So, yeah, I think that... Like that 79 grand final is important and a great piece of history. And the, the, the follow on from that, um, and the way the club was, the guy was trying to do some different things to help build the club. Some people love him, some people hate him. Obviously, some of the players left because of it. And then what's come in after that has really just meant that now we've got a really exciting time. But instead of taking some forward, me- forward thinking and um, proactive measures, um, that a team like Sydney had to do to build its team. Yeah, to continue uh, to exist. Exactly. Uh, we just kind of wrote on our past glories of that 70s and 80s and uh, now we're, you know, while we've just hit 50,000 members, the f- earliest we've ever done it, um, now this has turned into well, think- a Carlton Apology podcast and uh, episode. <laughs> no, but I think that the big thing, and we'll end it after this, but the <laughs> big thing about Carlton now is that they have young talent that people want to support. It's not mm. young talent that just kind of is there. Yeah. It's a broad range. Like, people are so, like very excited about Kerner. People are excited mm. about Mackay. People are excited about McGovern. Sam Walsh, Liam Stocker, all those players are Chesky players Seaton, number you Tom get on your Koning. back kind of thing, you yep. know? They're those mm. kinds of... I mean, Zach Fisher. They're players whose number goes on your kid's back. They're not just players that are there. Yeah. And that's the difference between Carlton now and Carlton of seven years ago. Exactly right. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, having future and present AFLW stars, Vessio, Harris, Davy, Prasparkas. Um, oh, Maddie Prasparkas. What a star. If she doesn't win the Rising Star, there must... The other next player... Sabrina along. Duffy. Look... It'll be a great night to watch the Rising Star. Oh, Stars. there's so many this year. I think more than maybe last year. I think last year was very clear-cut, whereas this yep. year I think it's a little bit tighter. They're doing two. Two every round. Now, is that something you think that the men's would introduce with the, a much larger pool of players? No, I think they do two every round because there's less rounds. That's a very good point. Because it's rubbish. Anyway, we're not going to get into that because I will lose my mind. On that note, that's the 1979 is, Grand Final. Yeah, we got way and, off topic And uh, one of the great pieces of commentary, one of the great dynasties in football and um, a great piece of history that, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, should be remembered. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming again to no, talk about this. I thanks. know that it's been a long night. It could be longer if we left it unchecked. Oh, my God. We could talk about football for hours on end. We'll have you back for sure. There's so many that I want to talk to you about. <laughs> um, but thank you so much. And this has been I See It But I Don't Believe It. That is Jason Morrison. I am Gemma Bastiani. And we'll be back in a few... Well, I'll be back in a few more days. I don't know if you will be. Let's see if we can make that work. See, and that's a goal. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.